morning. My name's Andrew Belletti, and today I'm in Darwin talking with international DJ, producer, and mentor Charlie Templar. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Andrew. And I find myself in Jingali, and Jingali is where I grew up. And where your beautiful house is. This is amazing because, yeah, this is my neighbourhood. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> now, it's wonderful to see you and I know you're really busy all of the time. But, um, yeah, I think we have a great opportunity to just talk about some of the things that you're doing. And for a start, what are you doing in Darwin? And can you please tell me a little bit about where you come from and how you got to this Point, point in jingly uh, <laughs> that that might take a long time but look uh, i just want to say thank you first of all for having me and a uh, shout out to all those who are listening to this interview uh, my name is charles Rajan Buti, and everyone knows me as dj charlie templar i was born in cameroon which is a tiny country in central africa area so the story goes back to 1990 during the football World Cup in Italy. There was a football match on and during halftime, a video clip came on. And that video clip was Yoto Yindi Treaty. And Andrew, I was 13 at the time. And that was my very first time to see black people with, you know, different color type. And, and, and I was so flabbergasted and I asked my mom, and she gave me a brief, you know, history of about indigenous people. She didn't know much at the time. But ever since I watched that video, I have always had in the back of my mind that one day I will visit these people because I was very intrigued as to why these people are black, but they don't live in Africa. <laughs> and uh, later on, I went to university. I studied history. So I did, I dug a little bit and I did a bit of my research. And as I, was, I started traveling the world, Paris, moved to Thailand, I met an indigenous person in Thailand back in 2007. He was from Tenan Creek. So, you know, he spoke to me and I knew at that stage that I would end up one day here. And uh, fast forward 2011, I had the opportunity to work in Arnhem Land. I was in Kuwait at the time when I applied and I just took it. I left Kuwait after being in Kuwait just for six weeks. I left and I flew here in October the 10th. I landed in Lake Vela, Gapuyak in East Arnhem Land. So that's my story, how I you happened to come here. In Australia, you in went Australia, straight to straight, Gapuyak in yes. East Arnhem Land. That's yeah. insane. Well, but, uh, uh, also because I, I had been previously to Australia in 2009, as a professional DJ, they flew me to DJ in Melbourne and Sydney. And when I was in Sydney, I met an indigenous man playing Yidaki under the bridge. So I came back in 2010 and I had a three months DJ residency in Melbourne and I met few indigenous, but that's not what I want. I wanted to, you know, uh, suck up that culture. I wanted to be in a setting where you see a lot of culture, you see a lot of indigenous people, those stories and communities. So when I landed here in 2011, I knew straight away that I don't have anything to do with big cities. I just want to come here. So I started in Lake Vela. And after three months, the job that I did was to mentor a group of young people that were at risk and very disengaged with my experience, my cultural background, very similar to a lot of indigenous here. You know, we got that understanding and we solidified the relationship that we have built. And uh, 
East Arnhem Shire thought that the job I did there in three months was fantastic. So they decided to move me to Yerkala. And guess what? I was staying next to the founding father of the Yotu Yindi's house. And I, I told them my story. And this was in February 2012. I told them my story and they couldn't believe it. And a few months later, my mom came to visit and she told them the same story. So and this way, you know, uh, my work with indigenous people went from, you know, good to better and uh, it became great. You know, I was adopted and I was working closely with indigenous people for the next six years while I was in Arnhem Land until moving to Catherine for another four years. And uh, I left the country, I moved to Dubai where I was solely DJ for two years. And then I returned back to Australia last year and I'm continuing my job. As to answer your question as to what I do, I'm a educational uh, aficionado. So I used to teach at school. I'm a martial artist. Uh, a lot of people know me as a professional DJ and as a mentor. So the job I do in Darwin present at the present time is to empower and mentor a lot of young people to provide them with career pathways opportunity through the organization that I created, which is called Dream Impact Inspired. So yeah, I hope I answered that question. That's, that's <laughs> quite, quite a, a, a yeah. That's a, an amazing journey, and, and especially to come to it through, um, you know, as as you said, through um, um, you're off the indie and you're somewhere that I started doing workshops, you know, in the probably early to mid 1980s, before you know the inception of Yoth the Indie. So before we started the band. Um, when we first met um, Old Man um, and Widiana and others, um, yeah. So that was that was a long time ago, and uh, amazing that you heard the song and saw the film clip and went, "Wow, who, who, I need to find out more." So w when you were working um, elsewhere, doing mentoring, so were the people or the the youth? Uh, that you're talking about that are disengaged or disaffected, were they, uh, was it a similar type of work or did you come to Australia and find a, a different set of circumstances? Oh, uh, look, the circumstances in, in a remote indigenous community might be similar to what you see somewhere else, but the main difference is that those countries where I worked before, like Indonesia, Thailand, they, they're all part of the third world countries. So they don't have the opportunities that people may have here. So the level of motivation is a bit higher. Like if I take the example of myself, I come from a very a poor background. So I had to motivate myself at a very young age and become very responsible because I, I realized back then that if I don't work hard, I will never make it out of there. And uh, that's what is probably lacking here, that level of motivation, work ethic, you know, commitment and dedication. So, yeah, but the work was kind of similar. I used to go to the Philippines in Cagayan de Oro and work in remote Cagayan to help mentor kids, raise a bit of funds to build like a shed where the farmers will store the crops. I did a similar thing in Indonesia and in Thailand. But here, uh, the kids are disengaged, they lack guidance and direction, and uh, most of the time they are rarely role models in communities, and that's where the problem arises. What you're saying is that um, 
the the motivation i mean because i've i've done similar work when i went back you know i work in the started in the music industry but then mm-hmm. i ended up in the film industry for most of my professional life and it's also one of those industries that is very very <laughs> to the letter to the minute um schedule based um travel it's you have to be very much on point on all point. the time yeah. um, and when I went to Bombay which is um, my ancestral um, home in India um, I started working with local indigenous sound people there who were working they were incredible kind of in their work but they were not at uh, you know a very highly competitive level mm-hmm. professionally so I started working with these guys 25 years ago and they're indigenous to Maharashtra so the state of where Bombay is yeah. and I started you know really properly mentoring them and saying like you you have the capacity to be number one you know and Correct. we were doing I was doing from you know my reputation at that time uh, I had already a, a big um, CV from this country, so I had some very big films on my CV. So there I was at, I went in at the top level. So we were doing big films with all the big stars. And you know mm. what Bollywood's like. Yeah. Uh, so that, they were like, uh, wow, suddenly. And I said, well, you're not, a, you're not only, only working with the big stars, but you have to be as professional as these I big see, stars. Yeah, you see how spot on that they are. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, these guys, like now when I go back, I still, I barely have to mentor anymore. It's just a phone <laughs> call every now and again because they're, you know, you see their passport and they've been around the world 15 times. You know, my main, um, the, the main guy I started with, Shashi, he's been around, um, now it's going on 25 years and he oh, wow. is mentoring himself a whole bunch of young people as well and he's economically very very well off and and um he's putting his kids through university you know his daughter's in studying medicine which is something that's never happened with his community before ever they've never even been to school um so and it's an amazing sort of sense of empowerment but he knows that by being utterly professional you know um, whether it's with, you know, we've shot with Ben Kingsley, with all these, you know, huge actors and they always come over and say, you have such an amazing team because the guys are very, very They're spot on. on. They're yeah. really there. Yeah. And I think what, you, what you're saying is that is that what you do as a professional requires travel, it requires commitment, it requires organisation, organization, yeah. uh, equipment, maintenance, uh, setting up, packing properly so you have everything. Correct. Um, such organisational skills and on the night or on the day of the workshop or on the night of the performance, you got to be there yep. every time yep. because if you stop, if you start falling over or or cancelling, then There's your phone no stops back. ringing. Correct. Yeah. There's no way back. Yeah. So that's what you're talking that's about. Exactly is that right. is that you were trying to get that level of professionalism and say that that if you can play at this level, then there's no stopping you. And that's no, yeah. exactly what we did with Yoffi yeah. Indy. You know, we, we we took a very small band and it became main, literally into the mainstream. We took it mainstream, and that was a huge, you know, huge thing at the time. That's incredible because uh, 
when I, uh, you're putting it that way, I'm just realizing that if you hadn't started that, I probably wouldn't have seen that video clip on TV. And, uh, and that's what I love about mentoring and empowering others is to give them those skills so that in turn, they can empower their peers. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> and so working in, uh, initially when you worked in Gapuwek with, with younger people, you, mm. you, you were saying that, uh, um, you know, on looks, you were very surprised that, you know, people looked like you, but they weren't in Africa. Correct. Um, and uh, and I know in Australia it's it's very similar because mm. I think a lot of people have never really been to the the, the top from, end, yeah. and especially to remote communities Correct. like in East Arnhem. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would have been um, you would have loved it. The beaches. Well, I, I did. Uh, although uh, Lake Villa didn't have any of those, <laughs> so <laughs> but. Uh, I think it was a blessing because the fact that Lake Villa was three hours away from Nulumboy, which was the nearest community, uh, it refrained people from abusing alcohol. So what I was dealing with was a group of a bunch of kids that were sniffing petrol at the time. And uh, the previous youth worker had done everything in his capacity and he couldn't, you know, quell the, the, the problem. So when I came... For me, the first step was to get to know people, tell my story, where I come from, and you know what I did, what were the steps that I took to become who I was, traveling the world. But um, I think my luck at the time, and my luck till this day, is the fact that I traveled the world as a professional DJ, and I met some of these superstars that all these kids dream about, uh, dream of. So suddenly, the relationship became solidified. You know, whenever I call them, they will come because they see me as, you know, one of those superstars. So whenever I was saying something, they would listen. So I started by simple tasks, such as one of the problems that we had in community, apart from Petro Sniffy, was consumption of uh, Coca-Cola consumption. It was huge. And not just that, the kids will dispatch all their bottles in the community. So I told them, why don't we collect all those bottles, wash them and make icy cups and sell them? So instead of spending your money buying Coca-Cola, you're making a revenue using those bottles. So simple things like that. And then I have never thought of it. So I remember in December 2011, we cleaned the whole community and we collected 350 Coca-Cola bottles and then we washed them just a bit of cordial and water. We started making icy cup that we were selling for a dollar. So we, we were able to save $350 that in turn we used to buy um, gifts that were given to kids during Christmas of that 2011. You know, simple things like that. They started realizing, oh, so I can actually develop a business skills by doing what Charlie is doing. And that was fantastic. And uh, yeah, a lot of different little projects that we did like that. And also one of the most important was talking about the, the, the concept of I love my land. What do you mean by you love your land? If you're, you know, tarnishing your land, if you're throwing your rubbish on the floor. And they will ask me, what do you, what do you guys say back home? And then I will tell them, when I mean I love my land back in Cameroon or in Africa, it means I look after it. I make sure that it's clean. And back then, those kids didn't have any concept because they were just following what adults were doing. They would buy a packet of, you know, chocolates and they would just throw the plastic on the floor because everyone is doing the same. 
But just by telling those little stories, they came to the realization that, oh, we can actually clean our land and protect it, you know. And, and from that point on, that relationship uh, combined with the sporting activities we were doing just to input those skills that I had at the time. We started doing wrestling, judo, arm wrestling, basketball, tennis, and uh, the community became very vibrant. And by becoming vibrant, you refrain the kids from going to sniff because they were just too busy playing sport, doing this little project. And uh, yeah, my experience, when I think of it, I become emotional. My experience in Lake Vela was really powerful. Until this day, I still have really strong connection with people out there because from time to time, I go out there to visit and spend two or three days in the community. And yeah, my last visit was just two months ago. I think what what you're talking about there is a really beautiful concept because when I do workshops, I mean, I, I know especially being based in uh, New South Wales, uh, you know, workshops, I think these days is, there's so much, um, what would you call it, bureaucracy and, and um, imperatives to meet KPIs and... Yes. And um, all the all that type of kind of stuff that can, you know, restrict your your freedom. But but I think what you're talking about there is is that not only were you doing the workshop that you were employed, you know, that you somehow got the money to do, um, but all these other activities were like community building. And I think that's a really interesting way of going about it because community building. As soon as you start building community around what it is that you are and what it is that you're doing, buy all these other little activities. It starts in positive impact slowly, slowly. And at times, uh, we think that it's impossible because it takes so long. But in a community service environment, we always say if you're empowering a group of 100 people and you see two or three that have made a change in their lives, it's an achievement. So, and that keeps me motivated. I've seen a lot of people walking into a community, trying hard for the first six months and giving up. I don't think that's enough because you're dealing with a group of people that for the past 10, 15 or 17 years, they haven't been taught those little skills. So you would not expect them to change in a matter of six months or a year. So... Yeah, it takes a lot of time, dedication, but it's just beautiful when you see the the, the end results. Yeah, I think it's 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 a really you know it's a, for me it's an eye opener when, when when you're talking about the sport and the the icy cups and and all these are kind of um, very abstract, but also they're kind of lateral. You know, they're on the edges of of what it is you're doing, but in the end, you're, you're talking about. Um, working together through sport, you're talking about entrepreneurial activities yeah. <laughs> with raising some $350. You're talking about caring for country um, by yeah, by just that awareness. Like when I, I know the same thing when you, when you um, physically find a bin or, or create a plastic bag and put it on the chair and say this is where we put all the rubbish. By example, with mm. anybody who's not really used to used doing to that, really. India's the same thing. People are very used to throwing things on the ground. Um, but when they see you not doing that, it becomes, you know, a motivation for, for them. And I remember as far as 
this kind of intergenerational impacts of this type of stuff is that that these little things that you're talking about they might be little things that you did but they they actually grow into big things and, and I remember you know when we first started going to communities um, the only way we could get to communities was courtesy of usually a mining company <laughs> or sometimes a school that had some money and they would say oh come and play at the club if it was a mining company or come and play at the school if they had a little bit of community money mm -hmm. we would go there and then we would kind of um, say oh yeah we're going to play tomorrow night we'll get in a day or two early and then we'll go and unpack the PA system from the from the truck and put yeah. it on the basketball court at the community um, and then we would just start playing and in in the early 80s it was you know early beats so it was like run DMC or whatever it was at the time, yeah, the time as soon was. as you turn the volume up on a PA system in a community that's never really heard a PA system you know it's always been like a ghetto blast or yeah, something boom, small yeah, yeah? boombox yeah so suddenly you hear these doom, doom, these big beats coming through the and just a on the ground, like on the basketball court, it's usually dirt or grass or something. It just had an effect. People came. And so we'd set up all the equipment. And then I, I just remember looking at one point in, in New Color on Ski Beach, just looking to my right. And there was, I think there was about 13 kids under the age of 10 just mm -hmm. lined up waiting for a turn on my drums <laughs> because I was doing I was playing uh, the Japana which is a real fast on the mm. hi-hats kind of beat um, and they thought that it was the the best beat they've ever heard and they just went I want to see how that's done so I showed them you know and they just kept then one kept teaching the other one and teaching the other one oh. and even now 40 years later some of these kids who've grown up and their kids and they still talk about that beat. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's so it's like, oh, so. Yeah. you did Japana. Oh, yeah. that's And it's kind of got this legendary kind of, it was such a small thing at the time, you know what I mean? It was a small effort that we made. As, as you're saying, you, mm. you kind of just make a little effort. But when you engage people uh, in an activity that kind of inspires them, then that kind of, is a very important seed. It's a very important that you're planting, yeah. and it resonates them with them, and uh, they keep it going. So, uh, one of the questions that you previously asked was uh, about the job that I do and what do I do. So I did a lot of little projects like that in community, and and that's what led me to create Dream Impact Inspire because I thought that to myself, okay. I'm a professional DJ, I travel around the world. Why not uh, empower kids through the medium of music, uh, boxing, you know, drumming and sporting activities? And that's how the birth of Dream Impact Inspire started eight years ago. But at the time I was doing it unofficially, meaning I had a full-time job and on the weekend I would just load my truck with some of the turntables that I had and drive to a homeland and have a disco night, a movie night and just have fun. So I officially started running this as a, as a business last year. And that's where I started getting calls from regional councils across the NT now. I empower young people in Darwin and Palmerston that are into mischief, you know, stealing cars, breaking into homes, and empower them. And in return, we go to communities that tell their story and they empower their peers, telling them why they're running away from the crime life because they want to make a, you know, a positive impact into their lives. So uh, as of now, 
from January of this year till this day, we have already been in 27 communities and we have worked with over a thousand young people. So in my little team, I have five young people working with me. Uh, three are indigenous, two are non-indigenous. You have three males and two females and they're all under the age of 18. So that was my my main idea is to empower these young people when they're young, when they turn 18, they can take over this business and empower their peers and hopefully grow it so that it becomes a, you know, a big company across Australia. Because I noticed a lot of young indigenous are extremely good with music. Oh my word, it, it, they, it's unbelievable. You teach them something and within the next five, 15 minutes, they can replicate that. So I thought to myself, yeah, this is beautiful. And it's just an activity that not many people are familiar with. So yeah, that's mainly what I do at this stage, uh, creating positive change and providing direction to young people through music, sporting activities, and a lot of mentoring for them to be able to stand in front of that you know, stage, in front of the crowd to perform. Because teaching them the skills associated with the craft of DJing is not enough. You know, they can learn how to DJ, they can do it, then comes the time to perform and they see the crowd, they're like, I can't do it. And that's where the mentoring comes in place and becomes very helpful. So the, the, the mentoring extends to performance, which, you know, th that's why they look up to you is because they see this kind of international DJ who not only has a good life, but has, you know, the whole personality, the whole you know, rock star kind of veneer um, that is very attractive, you know what I mean? And so young people can go, wow, that's uh, something that I aspire to. Um, and it doesn't, it seems to be a fairly kind of low impact. It's not like you have to exploit anybody on the way through. You can just get up there and make people dance. Um, and that's a really interesting uh, thing because um, performing for young, and I suppose from my experience, mm -hmm. the young Indigenous kids, the, the biggest barrier for performance is shame job. Um, and uh, for, for maybe some of the um, Indigenous girls we, we found, especially under 18, um, would absolutely, that was a, almost a no-no, like to even... Um, yeah, to present in, in front of any peop, uh, crowd with males in it, let alone their peers. It's like anybody else. So th there was significant barriers. Um, the shame and fear factors are really big here. So for you to be able to quell that, there needs a lot of mentoring, a lot of support. And, uh, and that's what we do, you know, with Dream Impact Inspire. Once we teach those skills, we associate that with a lot of mentoring. And uh, of course, the videos of my performances overseas help because they all aspire to become like that. But how do I become like that if I don't want to perform in front of people because I'm afraid? So, yeah, so far, so good. You know, slowly, slowly, we're building the company and the business up and uh, we're recruiting more people. And we came to the point where we go to the youth detention facility to mentor young people when they're in there you know, in the hope that once they're released, they would join our team and work with us. So the detention centre, is that in Darwin? That's the Dondell Youth Detention Centre in Darwin, correct. Right, so you've got, um, when you work on community, it's yeah. much more 
simple, isn't it? Like because mm -hmm. the the communities are much much smaller. Correct. And the the kids there have, as you said, they have petrol sniffing. That was a that a, was a, yeah, an issue at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but when you come to Darwin, I mean, Darwin's getting quite big. Yeah. Um, so the set of can you just talk about that a little bit? The set of not problems, but the the set of conditions that kids. Uh, the, the, the kids that you're working with in Darwin are facing a different set of circumstances to yeah. the community. So mm -hmm. you're talking about three or 400 people in a community um, like Gapawiak and uh, probably 70, 80, I don't know, whatever, thousand in, in Darwin. Darwin mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the main problem here is the youth crime and it is on the rise. And I think uh, the government has been trying the best they can do by throwing fundings at various organizations to try to tackle the crime problem. So we at Dream Impact Inspire, we try to bring our little contribution to quell that issue. So what we do is those young people that have committed a crime that are sitting at the youth detention facility, we go and we talk to them and we say, listen, this is the business that we start. We teach you, you know, we teach you the skills associated with the craft of DJ. But in return, you have to promise us that once you start working, you're going to stop committing all those mischief and you go in return, empower your peers because there is opportunity. There's plenty of opportunity. And on top of that, you start making money. So we try to create that healthy relationship between working and making money as opposed to not working and just breaking into somebody's house. So steady, steady, slowly. And uh, it's working because... The problems that the young people encounter here, when I talk to them, most of the time they're like, I'm bored, there's nothing to do. I need money, my dad doesn't give me money because he's probably drinking all our, his Centrelink money. So we tell them, listen, there's opportunity here, but you have to commit to it. You have to dedicate yourself and work. And, and, and it's something that they like. That's what we found because they love music so much. You know, 90% of young people in Darwin and Palmerston area they're rappers. They write their own lyrics. They love music. So when we bring this activity, the DJ workshop and, you know, lyric writing, they just embrace it. So we hope that this will contribute to turn, you know, the crime rate from what it is now to, you know, reduce it considerably. But in community, the kids don't have those problems like those, like you find in major cities because they're in families, they're in clan settings. So the problems usually are tackled really faster than they are in the community, in, in big cities, because they live in that setting where if there's an issue that arises, the parents can get on top of that really quickly. Whereas in the big communities, the kids most of the time roam free. At two o'clock, three o'clock, you can find them in the street, like kilometers away from where they live. So which usually is not the case in community. So that's why there's a really, really, uh, uh, it's important to tackle the issues in a big city so that in return, they can empower their peers. And that's what we try to do as much as we can. Yeah, it's, I mean, I haven't lived in Darwin for a really long time, but um, I have spoken to quite a lot of people um, and it does appear that um, the level of disengagement by young people and, you know, I'm hearing as young as 12 um, is, and they're saying there's a high level of disengagement. And um, so the option is, as you say, you know, a bit of crime to get some money, end up in the detention, you know, Don Dale, and then 
you know, that, that becomes, you know, a hamster wheel where you just, you go, you just as a revolving door, you go from there. And then as soon as you become old enough, you, you, you enter the adult um, judicial system and so many times it's not a good, a, yeah, it's never a good outcome. So diversionary um, activities, activities are, yeah. and I, I think what you're talking uh, about at the moment is not only diversionary, but they're kind of a little bit more holistic activities. activities so so you, 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 it's not just, well, we're going to kind of divert your attention, but we're going to, this is aspirational. I mean, you know, the, the thing about wanting to be involved in music whether it's a, a rapper a hip-hop artist or a dj is that's aspirational to be the next baker boy to be the next Correct. king stingray yeah. you know to, to be the next the next next and, right? and we use those simple examples you know uh, when i talk to people young boys here i tell them about the baker boy story because when i live in Arnhem land 15 years ago baker boy was a young kid, I used to do DJ disco night, and Baker Boy used to come and dance because the the way young people in remote communities, when there's a disco, there's a circle. Someone will run inside the circle and dance for three seconds and run out. And Baker Boy used to come and he would just sit, stand there and dance the whole time. He didn't care. People would laugh. And then I tell the boys today, where is he at? See, he never back down he was never scared or ashamed of what he was doing he believed in himself and because and once again it goes back to that fear and shame factor that refrain people to expressing you know their full potential full capabilities so and i and i use those stories with a lot of other young people that are starting to do quite well for themselves i can take the example of jay miller and young miller who are brothers born and bred in palmerston they started writing their lyrics. They got into some mischief, but, you know, really quickly they got out of that because they were so focused on writing their lyrics. And now they're becoming, you know, little stars and legends in Darwin. Young Miller, he's really big here as a rapper and he's just 21. And his brother, Jay Miller, has tracks all over the world, you know, in Spotify and all these, you know, uh, online music platforms. And he lives in Adelaide. So to the point where he was the first indigenous to be live stream on TikTok just to bring peace to a community in Wade. And that was two months ago because, you know, Wade is prone to a bit of a lot of violence. So he's coming back on November the 4th for another concert at the EDE festival in Wade just to bring peace. And he was just born here. So I take those little examples like that just to motivate young people. Be like, listen, once you put shame and fear factor aside, the world is your oyster, you know? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, yeah, it just reminds me of a, a long time ago in, in the early 80s, probably early to mid 80s. And we were in uh, Yurikala and um, doing some setting up or some kind of recording um and somebody brought in a young blind guy uh, and said oh this guy's really he's probably only 17 16 17 at the time and and um you know he he, he sat down in the, on one of the chairs in the studio and and pretty much whatever anybody put near this guy he could play so the drums <laughs> the guitar the bass and we just kind of went what the hell's going on here um so it's gurumul and yeah. by the time um uh, you know he was not at all 
probably not even interested in the whole scene because he didn't really know any, he was too young, he didn't really have any exposure to it at that time. But when he um, did some tracks, like did, contributed to some tracks, it became a thing. He's like, wow, this is... And that, that led to him actually being on stage with, with Yothu um, uh, shortly after that. But yeah, that was one of those you know, and that's just word of mouth in your color like those guys are in there's some guys in the studio should go and check them out and oh that guy over there knows how to play a little bit yeah. and turns out that he knew how to play everything in everything. the room <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. and that's what i always tell people when i go overseas and perform and people start asking me what do you do and i'm like oh i live in a aboriginal land and they're like oh they're very fascinated they're like oh we have always wanted to travel there. And they, they start asking all these questions. And I tell them, indigenous people are actually some of the most talented people when it comes to either sports or music because they pick up those skills so fast. It's impressive. And I, I'm just joining what you said in regards to late Guru Mool. I see that all the time here with young people. I see that all the time. But like I have always said, the one thing lacking it's that dedication, the commitment, the work ethic. Yeah. So, and that mm. that only comes through personal. It's the same with anybody, you know. Mm. Personal motivation is yeah. is the key, and um, role models. And I suppose in places like Darwin, where you know it's 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 a very kind of on all levels of of people, it's it's dysfunctional. Um, uh, so you know, there's a lot of things going on here, and it's a very complex situation. Um, but it is, you know, it, it does upset me a little bit to hear that that people as as young as twelve, uh, you know, the city council and the communities are recognising that people as young as twelve are, are disengaged, um, and that's, um, you know, that's kind of something. Yeah, it's saddening. It's saddening, and. Uh like I keep saying, we can just keep plugging away and, you know, every organization should come together, you know, try to do the best they can to quell those issues. Because if we don't do that, it's just going to become worse and worse. And it has in the past few years. Like when I left in 2020 to move to the Middle East, I said that in a meeting in Catherine, people got mad at me. But it's because I understand. I come from the street. You know, I see, look at those kids. I see myself years ago. I was just like that. And I know what made me change. So, and I see all the things, strategies that are put in place. And I'm like, but this is not really efficient. You know, this is not empowering enough to make a kid change his mindset. And I said those things and people were not happy. And then I came back two years later, the crime rate is really high. You know, so... I had another opportunity to move back overseas to work, but I was like, no, this is where my heart is. This is my passion because over the years, even when I was overseas, I was still in touch with all these young people that I mentor here. So we will be talking, I'll be in Dubai playing a set in a club and at 4 a.m., as soon as I finish my phone rings, it's Jamika from Gangan who's calling me, you know, we'll be on the phone for an hour, you know, just talking to him. And then I realized that I needed to come back because my heart was here and this is my passion. It's something that I started years ago out of passion. So uh, I, I would just exhort, you know, beg all the organization to come together and share those ideas, you know, in order to find solution to quell those issues and refrain kids from offending because there's a way out. There's a way out. 
It's also uh, young people and their parents to realize that we live in a country that provides multiple, ample opportunities. Look, for someone like me coming from Africa and coming here and doing what I'm doing, there's plenty of opportunities. The kids just to be made aware that, listen, you don't have to do what you're doing because there's plenty of opportunity. Search one in this or search one in that. There's career pathways. People can guide you and direct you and support you. You know, help is available in Australia at all times. So, yeah, that's my take on that. Yeah, look, there's, there's one last thing I want to touch on and that's the work that you you know like this level of work in places like Darwin, which you know, as, as I said, coming back here, as I do every now and again, and, and seeing the changes since when I was a child, when Darwin is a very kind of different place. It's it's um, uh, across the board. It's quite different these days. Um, there's a lot of different pressures being exerted here, and and I think that any town where you've got a lot of people, you know, you've got the, the, the military industrial complex here, you've got the mining industrial complex, you've got these people who are probably, you know, reasonably well off um, with pretty good jobs um, who have the capacity to participate in, you know, fine dining and, you know, cocktail bars and, you know, activities, holidays and whatever. but. The majority of Darwin doesn't live that way. You know, they're not kind of earning those big dollars and they're not driving those fancy cars and, and all that. So the majority of Darwin, and that wasn't like that when I was little, everybody was the same. You know, the people were all working class and they were working together. So there wasn't these big divides, these socioeconomic divides. But now it appears that there's a lot of pressure because there's a very high-end veneer to Darwin. There's cocktail bars and restaurants and all this fancy stuff. But then the majority of people can't participate in that. It's only there for a few who have the capacity to. And I think that that will always drive the sorts of things that you're talking about, which is, you know, and for me, the, the theme around that is social justice. I mean, and what you're doing at some level is, you know, you're like you're becoming, you're using your experience from your own past to become a social justice kind of warrior in a new um, environment, um, but also adapting your tools and skill sets to the new environment and the new people. Um, and as you're saying, Don Dale, how, how do you go with the kids? Like if you've got mentor, uh, or you've mentored three Indigenous boys and two non-Indigenous girls. Uh, have you taken those young people who are, what, what are they, 16, 17? Mm-hmm. Have you taken them into Dondale? Uh, the three male boys used to be in Dondale. Oh, yeah, they used to be in Dondale. And the two females, they have never been in Dondale. And uh, so the three boys, now that I'm providing workshop uh, or activities at Dundell, they don't want to go back because for them, that's part of the past. So the two females, they go to Dundell to provide the workshop. Yeah. So it's a new environment they have never been, but they get along with the other young boys and the mentor, the peers, you know, they tell them stories, positive stories. And it's funny because yesterday I was at Dundell myself to do the workshop. It was a Sunday and some of the boys were telling me about the two females. They're like, yeah, they come here. They're very nice. And I like one. And <laughs> but she told me, I can't date you because you're here. You have to be out and be a good boy. <laughs> so, and then, you know, and then I asked him, so what are you going to do? It's like, oh, I'm compelled to change. I have to 
now. And I say, oh, if that's positive, that's good for you, buddy. You know, <laughs> that, that's a really, it's a really, um, <laughs> it's a really different take on because uh, the you know Don Dale's got such a terror. I mean, even in Sydney, we hear just some very. Um, um, not not very good stories um, yeah, uh, surrounding Dondal, but what you're talking about uh, to take young people in there who can actually have the fortitude or the, the courage to, to go to a place where other young people are being yeah. locked up. That's I think that's quite powerful. It, it, it is. It takes courage, and, and and that was the whole idea when I was studying Dream Impact. Because when we talk about jobs opportunities, we always think about plus eighteen. But what about those young people that are committing these crimes because they want $100 to buy this and that, that parents are not giving to them? So I thought to myself, listen, start taking 13, 14 up to 17, between 14 and 17. Empower them, teach them the skills, and then give them jobs. So I started doing that. You know, I will take all the 20 turntables and 20 computers that I have and rent a hall and, you know, make design a flyer, free DJ workshop and identify kids that wanted to do it. And what happens next is that these young people, they realize that, oh, I'm good at DJing. I can actually do that and make money. So I put them into all these youth festivals or non-alcoholic events where they go, I set up the DJ and I step back and I look at them, how they're having fun playing music and they get a bit of cash. And in return, what happens? They don't go and break to anybody. They don't want to, they don't go and take anybody's property because they realize that, oh, I'm working, I'm making my own money. So that's where the idea stems from, for providing job opportunity and career pathways opportunity to young people, for them to realize you're not just doing that for fun. You can actually develop this as a career pathways opportunity. And one of the female, she's the most experienced, she's 16. She's been working for, with me for a year and she has already DJ a lot of events, like youth events, wow. to the point where she traveled 45 kilometers away from her home to DJ a kid's party. So kids that came, youth camp from Melbourne came up here. Like young people came up here for a youth camp and she went to DJ the events. She did a DJ workshop by herself to a group of 10 young people from Melbourne. DJ workshop, she packed up, she set up the PA system and run the, run the disco. So, and this is, it makes me happy. It makes me happy because if we all put our hands together, like we say back home, one hand will never be able to tie a package. You need two hands. Therefore, if we have all these organ youth organ agencies, organizations that come together, there's just so much we can do rather than doing things separately. You know, we come together, we sit, we discuss of potential ideas that can refrain kids from offending or reoffending. And there's just so much that we can do. But they have to be practical solution where a young person can realize that if I do this, there's a way out straight away. Because, you know, having done a certificate one in something and not having a job for the next few months, what happens? His mind starts roaming and, you know, and before you know it, a group of boys will come and call and be like, come on, let's go. In a stolen car, what happened? You know, in a bottle shop, what happened? Next thing you know, it's juvenile youth detention. So these are the things that happen. And we see them on a daily basis. You know, and people, we, we, like I said, we just need to come together and have those practical solutions as to what we can help, what can be efficient. I think you, you know you, you touched upon something that that's really interesting to me because when I was um, uh, first started 
just kind of mentoring similar organization in 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 india with the um sound team for films and, and movies um one of the things that i saw was very bright very able reasonably young people who had no capacity to enter the formal workforce because they had no schooling whatsoever mm. but they had incredible smarts so they were already working you know within the industry but on the peripheries of it and when you have literally no schooling there is no there chance. is no opportunity to yeah. enter but what what my you know as i said shashi the, the the main guy who's been with me for almost 25 26 years now what he realized and what i kept telling him was that i know you can't read and he he could even barely speak any english in those days so i used to meet him halfway with a bit of hindi a bit of english but he i said don't get scared because in in india in bollywood on the big films everything runs via English, so the call sheets, the schedules, the scripts are all in English script, right? Mm -hmm. So Hindi script is uh, totally different. So even if he could read Hindi, which he couldn't, um, it would have been tricky. But reading English was just something completely foreign to him. Um, and I said, you don't have to learn anything, but as long as you can... And I showed him, I said, you don't have to read the whole script. It's 150 pages. But every day... That, see that person over there she's the you know there's a young girl and she was a script supervisor and i said every day she will have extracted the the pieces from the script that we're going to be doing for that day and you'll see that it's only one and a half pages so that's the only thing you learn every morning is you look at that and you ask me ask somebody about what it is and then you learn the english associated with what you need for the day and then the schedule the call sheet what time is it tomorrow how to how to understand how to decipher all that information on the call sheet which yeah. is confusing to anybody <laughs> um and you know now he reads english script he reads hindi script he speaks six languages oh, beautiful and he is totally informal because he has no educational qualifications but as i said his daughter you know, we bought computers for her when she was little and, and everything, and she is now enrolled in medical school. I mean, it's just unheard of. But this informal kind of education, because I know what's happening in Australia is, uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting to the point here, what's happening in Australia is, is there's, this, there's this focus on job-ready graduates. But graduates of what? Graduates of university. Yeah. So what about, okay, so to you, to do university, how much do we need? $25,000 a year, so $75,000. Um, a debt of $75,000. <laughs> then after that, you will potentially have a pathway to a job. So that's been the focus of our kind of the overarching government focus. But what you're talking about is if kids are disengaged at 12, they're not going to have any type of... You can't Formal say, let's education. just go back to no. grade 12 because they haven't even done grade nine. Correct. But what you're talking about is the skills needed to, to kind of circumvent that in an informal way. Like the, what I did with the, the guys in India, um, the team there just got straight to a very high level through an informal way. And I think what you're showing these young people is the same pathway, which is like you need to learn certain things to get 
to this next to level. This level. Correct. But also just to touch on what you said, uh, that's the national, uh, how would I, I don't want to say curriculum, but uh, go to university and get a job. That's what nationwide, that's how people see it. But the Northern Territory is a bit different in that instance where people have realized, the government, the anti-government has realized over the past years that it doesn't work here because English is basically the second, the third or the fourth language for many indigenous people here. Therefore, what do we put in place? It's just this vocational educational training for them to be job ready. And I think the Northern Territory has been doing a lot of effort actually just to get the kids job ready by providing them with those opportunities and those courses so they can get a job. Like there's a, there are so many organizations here that provide those short courses that will lead you to a career path with opportunity. So yeah, in that instance, we're very different in the Northern Territory compared to other states or territory across Australia. And yeah, just to finish up here, I think that is the key. What you're, what you're saying there is that the the kind of space that you're working in is to me so important for exactly that reason you know like uh, th th there's no formal kind of uh, <laughs> you know it's kind of almost like music which is such a big economy i mean the twi the ta i don't even know what they call it the swifterverse or something like taylor swift is so big that she's her own economy <laughs> you know what i mean like music is an economy you know what i mean like there, there is this whole thing around it and participating in that is as valuable and as useful and possibly way more useful than many other kind of avenues available. Yeah. Mm. And, and that's true. And I think once again, the government understood that because there's a package going around for funding to organizations that are willing to take that step in training young people, you know, music wise. So, and that's beautiful. That's fantastic that the anti-government is recognizing those issues and try to put fundings available just to train young people. But once again, like I said, all the organizations coming together and you know proposing or suggesting those practical ideas to help young people, but also a call up onto parents, you know, parents to do the best they can to help at home because education starts at home before you even leave your doorstep if you don't get the proper direction, guidance, support from home, it makes it very difficult from, for an external person to come and change, you know, uh, to come and change the person that you are. So education has to start from home. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I think the, the council's moved in with their chainsaw, so we might have to call it a day. But we're, we're looking forward to um, you know, we're, we're working together on Knock 'em Down Sound System, which is going to happen in April next year, uh, 2024. Um, and we're just getting that in shape at the moment. But um, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be um, an awesome opportunity. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that we have you on board. Yeah, no, um, thank you very much for that opportunity. I'm looking forward to it as well. And uh, I just want to remind the listeners that uh, if they curious enough to check the work that we do is dreamimpactinspire.com yep i'll put that yeah. link in uh, the description thank you very much no worries and thank you for your time today charlie thank you andrew